if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now on AM 1420. The answer at eight minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks so much for being with us. Don't forget, Peter Kersenow comes back for an encore performance at 1035. We talked to him the morning of the debate on Tuesday. He did not get a chance to react to the debate other than on Tucker Carlson last night. So uh, I saw his performance. I said, hey, Pete, why don't you share some of that with us today? So he'll be with us at 1035. But to start the hour, as always, since it is a Thursday, and this is the first morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2020, we say good morning to Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, of course, is a past university president. He is a columnist with the Washington Times. He's a best-selling author and also a radio host in his own right in his native Oklahoma, joining us on AM 1420. The answer, good morning, doctor. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on, as always. So I, uh, I, I gave up Twitter, by the way, and my life has been a lot more peaceful uh, <laughs> since then. Uh, as you, good for you. We've good discussed. For you. Yeah, I did. I deleted my account. Uh, Thirty thousand people that followed me no longer get to get to hear what I think. But the main reason is, is I didn't want to hear what most of them had to say anymore, um, because of the toxicity of the platform. So I took to Facebook instead after the debate, uh, Dr. Piper, on Tuesday, and here's what I said. The results as to who won, you can use the air quotes around that, the debate, are literally irrelevant here. Despite what we all just watched, um, I'm paraphrasing my own self here, um, one of the men on that stage was a believer in liberty and capitalism. The other is a believer in anarchy and socialism. It's an easy choice for me. That's how I phrased it. Um, I read your tweet, though. You know, even though I gave up Twitter, I do seek you out for the purposes of this. And your tweet was similar, a little bit more in depth. But you say I'm pro-Trump and will vote for him because of his policies: pro-life, pro-religious freedom, pro-constitution, pro-business, pro-liberty, pro-police, pro-law. But tonight was a disaster, Doctor Piper. Tell me what was so disastrous in your mind, and do you think this will have hurt President Trump in any measurable way when it comes to the voters? Well, it's interesting. Now, some of <laughs> you know I'm setting myself up because some of your le- your listeners right now are not going to like what I'm going to say. I said it was a disaster because my last sentence was, I've seen five-year-olds with better manners than this. I was bothered by President Trump's demeanor. I, I, he, he did interrupt constantly. Um, so I said that. 
I'm going to vote for him. I'm still pro-Trump. I vote for his policies, and he has defended those things robustly in his first term as president, and I'm very grateful for it. But I did not like the way he handled himself in the debate, the constant interruptions. Now, it's interesting, Bob. Uh, as a conservative, I always want to learn. I want to see what the debate is. I want to have a good, robust exchange of ideas. I want the give and take. And if people agree or disagree with me, bring it on. In my Facebook, um, I had over 800 people engage with this post. I had approximately 300 comments. <laughs> and some people took me to task and said, well, I disagree with you, and here's why. And they went through the reasons why they think President Trump had to respond that way because Joe Biden was rude. Joe Biden was calling him names. Trump never resorted to name-calling, not once. Yes, he was rude and interrupted, but he never resorted to name-calling. Uh, and he had to debate two people, Chris Wallace and Joe Biden. So this was the response. Now, I did get a lot of people who agreed with me, too, and said, Trump's got my vote, but, man, I wish he would handle himself di differently in these situations. So here's the take-home. Here's my take-home. Go and listen to Winston Churchill. Go do some research on what kind of personality he had and how he handled himself in certain situations, and you'll find out that, number one, he was a misogynist. Number two, he was rude and demanding. Number three, he didn't listen very well to others. And if people disagreed with him, he was very upset with them rather than changing his direction and changing his idea. His general said that. His cabinet members said that. His secretary said that. Here's my conclusion. I am very grateful for Winston Churchill. We needed Winston Churchill rather than Chamberlain. And today, I'm very grateful for President Trump. Yes, okay, I think he's rude. Yes, I think he behaved in a childish manner. But you know what? I want a Churchill. I don't want a Chamberlain. I want a Pitbull. I don't want a Patsy. And I'm grateful that we've got President Trump. Yeah, I'm not sure the debate was a win because of the way he handled himself. Did he, did he secure more votes from independents who are trying to make up his mind? I don't know. Um, would he have if he would have been a little bit more uh, presidential, if you will, in handling Crazy Joe? Uh, I would argue he would have. So that's my critique, Bob, for what it's worth. Let me let me uh, let me offer this and see what you think, because I I kind of thought the same thing as it was going on, and as I prepared the next morning's show, um, I kind of came around to another option uh, rather than this being bad manners or, as you say, the you know behavior of a five year old or whatever. Is it possible, Dr. Piper, that it was strategic? We have seen Joe Biden, whenever he has been challenged in interviews and on the campaign trail, snap. He is quick-tempered. He is very, very quick to anger. We have seen him call a guy a lying dog-faced pony soldier because he challenged something he said. We have seen him snap at interviewers. Come on, man. I, I, I kind of feel like there may have been strategy here, that President Trump went in there saying, I'm going to dig under this guy's skin. I'm not going to let him talk. I'm going to interrupt him. I'm going to do whatever i got to do to get him to snap so everybody can see, is this really the guy you want? Look at it. And by the way, it kind of worked. Because, you know, as big of a story as the, the, the interruptions are, I, the, the, to me, the story is, should be just as big. He called the president of the United States a clown. He, he's told the president during one of their exchanges, oh, just shut up, man. I mean, Joe Biden has a temper, and I feel like Trump may have gone in there strategically to expose it. Uh, whether it was intentional and strategic or not, I don't know. Did he expose Joe Biden for being Joe Biden? Yes, he did. But here's the question. And as I, again, I, I challenge everybody listening. 
if you're truly conservative, you should want to have this exchange. The exchange that Bob Franz and I are having right now is a good one, because conservatives are not threatened by a debate. That distinguishes us from progressives. We want to pursue the truth with a capital T. That's important to us. Strategic? I don't know. Did he expose Biden? It seems that he clearly did. Did Donald Trump win independence with his demeanor? Uh, I'm not sure he did. Did he lose anybody from his base? Absolutely not. Now, here's the good news. I don't know if you've covered this or not, but The Hill reported the day after the debate that 61% of Hispanics thought Donald Trump won. I did. That was a Telemundo poll. Yeah, yeah. A thousand percent right. Uh, That's fascinating to me because I wouldn't have said that necessarily at that time. I was bothered. I'm and I still do have some concerns. I think we should criticize Trump when he's right, excuse me, criticize Trump when he's wrong, and thank him profusely when he's right. On policies, he's right. Pro-life, pro-business, pro-constitution, pro-Israel. Um, on all of these things, he's right. Pro-religious freedom, he's right. Thank you, President Trump. Uh, I think, like, uh, like you and Ben Shapiro and others, if he's done something that is wrong, we should be willing to say so. That's where yeah, I am. No, and, and I agree. And, and you know, the, here's the thing. You know, are we going to vote based on tone and temperament, or are we going to vote based on those policies? Tucker said it last night. Donald, Trump, Donald Trump's ideas are fine. Donald Trump's grasp of the issues, his policies are fine. It's his tone and it's his menacing nature that, bother, that bothers some people. And as Tucker said, he could read a wine list and find a way to make it sound menacing. And that is true. But I am not looking, as you said, go back to your own Churchill example there, right? I, w- I would rather not have the patsy. I would rather have, you know, that strong, ferocious leader. And, uh, and you know, even if it rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, Dr. Piper, let's pivot now to the president's uh, other big issue right now. And that is, of course, his appointment of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Uh, October 12th is when the Judiciary Committee is set to take this up. And that is going to mean now another 11 days of savaging her for being two things, one, a Catholic and two, a mother. I cannot believe that the party that says they are pro-woman, the Democrat Party, the party that says uh, that uh, you know women can do anything that a man can, have spent as much time as they already have saying, how can you be a good mom to seven children and expect to be able to handle the workload of the Supreme Court? Either you're going to raise your children by nanny, which is wrong, or you're going to neglect your duties on the court because you've got to watch those kids yourself. You can't be a working mother and succeed at those two things because you're Amy Coney Barrett. Your thoughts, doctor. You know, I, Another tweet that I put out this week, I, I played off of C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters. And it's the, that, that book is a give and take between two demons who are discussing how to break the human soul and spirit, how to break the human being, how to govern us as people and lead us into the pit of hell. That's the screw tape letters. My tweet, I said this, um, Wormwood, this is completely unacceptable. You have allowed the President of the United States to nominate a woman who actually believes in God and believes in the Bible. This is a loss for us, Wormwood. You must do better. Sincerely, Uncle Screwtape. In other words, this is asinine. This is insane. The progressives are losing their mind because you have a successful woman who happens to have a good nuclear family and believes in the 2,000-year tradition of Judeo-Christian morality. 
believes in the dogma and the doctrine of the Church, somebody who actually believes in the Constitution as a fixed and stable document, not, not something that's fluid and should be deconstructed by the whim of politics. This woman has exactly what we should want in a Supreme Court judge, and she's exactly the exemplar of what it means to be a successful woman in our culture and in our time. She's done it all. She's done it all. She's risen to the highest levels of the judiciary, while she's also had a family and taken care of her children. Oh, how terrible. How terrible, Wormwood. You've allowed this to happen. Find Uncle Screwtape. I love when you do that. Um, I, I, it's funny, my other guest coming on later on, uh, Peter Kirstenau, has written a, a handful of articles for the National Review in which he does the same thing, kind of does a take off on the uh, uh, screw tape letters, and uh, uh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant analogy. Dr. Piper, we're going to take a time out here, and uh, on the other side, we're going to talk about race in a couple of different ways. Number one, the death of Breonna Taylor and the announcement last week of uh, the uh, uh, no charges, essentially, against the police in her death. And black pastors are calling for laws to change. Your column asks which laws. We're going to hit that. And then uh, there was a Newsweek piece as well, excuse me, about the church that I want to ask you about as well as far as woke Christians uh, on Donald Trump's, in Donald Trump's base and whether or not they are going to stay there through this election cycle. So we'll get those two thoughts coming up from Dr. Everett Piper next. I want to get back with Dr. Piper here on uh, on matters of race now. Two, in fact, two different ways. One thing I didn't tease before the bottom or before the break there, Dr. Piper, was um, about Amy Coney Barrett. The other attack is on her two Haitian adopted children. Can you believe that uh, somebody on CBS actually declared it was a it was I think it's a Boston University uh, professor who went on CBS and declared that those children. Uh, that she adopted one in 2005 and then one from Haiti after the 2010 earthquake. She essentially saved two young Haitian children's lives and are raising them in a happy, healthy household here in the United States. They said that she adopted those children for props, to diversify the family, to color up the Christmas picture, if you will. Um, I, I don't know if you can respond to that because it's just so reprehensible to even say out loud. But uh, let's tie that in with your article in which you talk about uh, black pastors and uh, demanding change, demanding a change to laws because Breonna Taylor uh, was killed in a very tragic situation in Louisville, Kentucky, one in which her boyfriend fired a shot at police and police returned fire and caught her in the crossfire. Um, Take those in whatever capacity you wish, Doctor. Go ahead. I'll respond to the first one in terms of this crazy, crazy, and maybe that's the only word that can be used here because it's literally insane. It lacks to accuse a woman and her husband who have taken care of two children. Who cares about the color of their skin? She adopted two children from an impoverished situation. They were orphans. They would have been left to die. They would have been left, at, at, at the very least, to live in poverty and dysfunction had somebody not cared enough to love them and include them in their family. And because the Barretts did, they're being criticized rather than applauded for doing so. This is the debate between the conservative worldview, a biblical worldview, and that which is progressive. When you start labeling people by the color of their skin, rather than just treating them as human beings, you start making these stupid comments. So I could go on and on. This is a whole one-hour show. 
But let's get back to my article. Actually, I called out in my article in the Washington Times a white pastor who it wasn't a black pastor, a white pastor who posted on Facebook that the situation involving um, the death of Breonna Taylor was tragic. I agree. But then he went on to say that if the police in this situation were acting within the law, that's his quote, then the laws need to change, period. I challenged him. I said, well, then what laws? Let's have a discussion. Let's have a debate. What laws are you suggesting need to be changed? Should they, had, should they have had a duly issued warrant? Well, they had one. Should they have announced themselves before they entered the building? They did. Should they have waited to return fire until they were fired upon first? That's exactly what happened. So tell me exactly what laws need to be changed. And as you know, in the article, I've been pivot, and I say this. My mom taught me something very important, and she didn't even have a high school diploma. She taught me the principle of association, that you're known by the company you keep, that bad company corrupts good character. My mom harangued me to stay away from people that were doing bad things, because when you get involved in situations where people are making bad decisions, you're going to suffer the consequences likewise. Don't get in a car with somebody who's been drinking if you want to avoid a a a drunk driving accident. Don't go to a store with somebody who shoplifts all the time if you don't want to be accused of shoplifting. Don't go to parties where kids are using drugs if you don't want to be accused of using drugs. My mom made sure that I lived this way. And there's a black friend of mine. He posts regularly, and he's known internationally right now. He's a conservative black guy. Not that that matters, but just to put this in context, Virgil Walker. Virgil Walker says that he will never be shot by the police. He says that confidently, and then he explains why. Number one. I don't break any laws. Number two, I don't hang out with people that do. Number three, and if I ever am stopped by the police for, for, what, for whatever reason, speeding or anything else, I do exactly what I'm told to do. I don't have to worry about being targeted by the police because I'm using common sense. He's basically exercising the principle of association and personal responsibility, too. You know, if people would have loved Brianna Taylor enough to preach and teach this stuff, Maybe she'd still be alive. And then I concluded with my pastor friend by saying this. Maybe preaching and teaching virtue from your pulpit and in your church would be of more value than your virtue signaling. Let's love people enough to teach them what my mom and Virgil Walker's mom taught us. That's the answer. Very well said. Thank you for the correction, by the way, on the race of the uh, the uh, uh, person, the pastor you were talking about. I, I want to give just the, the last minute and a half to this Newsweek article, which I did not see and read fully because uh, I got it late this morning. But uh, there's an article about Christians um, leaving President Trump's base, evangelicals in particular, uh, dividing the church. They have become woke, if you will, and uh, they have decided to side with the uh, with the liberal woke uh, church of the woke rather than the uh, the Christian church. Um, Dr. Piper, you're quoted in here in particular about the issue of Christian universities. Um, I don't know how to say it, but, but, but spotlighting or praising in some manner or form or another, uh, people just because of how they died. And, and in particular, one Christian university is, is naming scholarships after George Floyd. Now, George Floyd's death was tragic, but George Floyd's life was a train wreck. Why on, on earth are they, are they honoring people based on, uh, how they died as opposed to how they lived? And I know that's something you talked about in the article. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, it just came out. I just saw it this morning. 
I haven't even read the whole thing, but I am quoted in this Newsweek article with regard to woke Christianity. And one of the questions I ask is, why in the world are multiple, not just one, multiple Christian universities naming scholarships after a man who was a porn star? That's a fact. Naming a scholarship after a man who held up a pregnant woman by pointing a gun at her belly. That's a fact. Naming scholarships and on granting sainthood, lionizing a man who was uh, repeatedly convicted of drug abuse and other felonies. That's a fact. I'm not justifying the way he died. I don't know all the facts in terms of how he died and whether or not the police will be uh, exonerated or whether they'll be convicted. I don't know. But what I do know is that there are lots of noble African-Americans out there that you can name scholarships after. I mean, Larry Elder, uh, Armstrong Williams, Thomas Sowell, some deceased leaders such as Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass. And then you have other leaders such as Candace Owens and Star Parker. I mean, we could go on and on and on. Why don't you name scholarships after these people that are living dignified lives of personal responsibility and personal morality and personal courage, rather than somebody who happened to suffer uh, a death that may, may be deemed um, homicide rather than justified? This, this is crazy. I know I need to shut up. You need to conclude the show. But that's, that's part of what my article says. No, I, I, asked you, I asked you late in the segment knowing we would go over, and that's okay. Uh, it's, it's a nice thing. And I've had you on my national shows before, and we have a harder clock there. But on the local ones, I can fudge it just a little bit. So I wanted to give you a chance to respond to that because it is very important. I'm going to Facebook that story as well and uh, ask our Christian, uh, my Christian li- uh, listeners and, uh, and visitors online to, uh, to uh, speak to this as well because it is really, really disturbing. Dr. Piper. Terrific job as always, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Blessing. Take care, Bob. Ten thirty-one. We go from Doctor Everett Piper, one of our most popular guests, to Peter Kersenow, certainly one of our most popular guests. He'll join us next. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Ten thirty-seven. Now we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer with an encore performance from the brilliant Peter Kersenow, who of course is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete joined us on Tuesday morning, the morning of the debate, so we didn't get a chance to hear from him in reaction to the debate, unless we were watching Tucker Carlson last night. I did, and I said, "Hey, Pete, what do you say we bring that brilliance back to the radio airwaves as well?" And yes, indeed, here he is. Hi, Pete. How are you, Bob? Doing pretty well. Sunny day in Cleveland. You know, all's well. All is well, indeed. Um, all right, Pete. The president interrupted a lot. Um, I, th- I heard the numbers this morning on Fox and Friends, whoever tabulates these things, that Joe Biden interrupted either President Trump or Chris Wallace over 70 times. President Trump interrupted either Joe Biden or Chris Wallace about 140 times, so twice as much. It annoyed a lot of people. Let's be honest about that. But was the debate a fair shake for President Trump? Do you think he was given a fair opportunity, or did he need to horn in on various answers by Joe Biden or interruptions uh, by Chris Wallace to what he was saying in order to get his points across? Well, let me take those uh, in the order that you gave me. First, he clearly didn't get a fair shake. Uh, And second, he needed to interrupt, but maybe not in the fashion that he did. I was probably like, I suspect, a lot of people. As a strong Trump supporter, I tuned in. I was eager to watch. I wanted to see what would transpire. I thought that Joe Biden would show up, um, maybe hyper-caffeinated so he could get through the debate, and I didn't think he was going to be drooling on his shoes. (laughs) And he accomplished that. 
Um, but I was very disappointed in the president, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll be very clear about it. Uh, within five minutes, I got aggravated and irritated, even though I could clearly see what his strategy was. And um, and I admit, I'm, I'm a person who is very easily uh, difficult to discourage. Uh, I'm the inveterate optimist. Uh, you know, if I were on the Titanic, I would think that, you know, it's just a matter of time before we get out of this mess. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless... <clears throat> It bothered the heck out of me, and I was wondering whether or not this would have a deleterious effect on his campaign. And then you have a little bit of time to think, and, you know, you see what some other people are up to. But I think one of the sobering things for me, well, well first of all, when I woke up the next morning, I said to myself, you know, I had a similar impression in 2016. In other words, as somebody who debates for a living, somebody who is a, um, you know, oral advocate before courts of appeals, I know what I have to do to win an oral argument. But the format and the framework is utterly different from pervading or prevailing in a presidential debate. And I made that same mistake during the primaries in 2016 and the uh, uh, general election uh, debates in 2016, where I thought that, you know, on many occasions, Trump was alienating significant, significant portions of the audience. He wasn't scoring debate points the way we in, you know, either academia or in the law profession or, or elsewhere would score debate points. And I'd fallen into that trap again. Now, I'm not saying that I wasn't I storm that irritated, because I think Trump missed a lot of sterling opportunities to really punch back hard effectively, regardless of whether or not debating in the traditional format is something that is um, necessary to do. But That's uh, huge, Pete. Pete. Pete, that's huge. And you and I disagree with our friend Hugh Hewitt on this. Hugh said it's about what was said. That's how people judge debates. I disagree. I think okay. there's so much of what President Trump did not say that he could have and should have, uh, should have that would have won this debate for him. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think he could have delivered knockout punches. That's my own uh, view of this. Maybe I'm, I'm mistaken. And again, I keep in mind, I'm very, very mindful of the fact that I blew it in 2016, thinking that Trump was missing the, the boat on certain debates, especially during the primaries. I thought he was alienating people. Um, one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm being a little bit more hesitant this time, in addition to having been wrong last time uh, in terms of the impact of debates, is... When I started to look at some of the polling data, and obviously these are snap polls, but nonetheless, they're pretty significant. You know, you probably, I know you've seen the Telemundo poll. Uh, that astonished me. Um, I mean, this was not a small margin. This was by more than a two-to-one margin. Hispanic voters said Trump won. And um, again, I, I still do not think that he had done as well as he, remotely as well as he could have, because he, if he were armed with the information that he usually has when he's at his various uh, rallies, he could have knocked uh, Biden out. I still maintain that. But having said that, a lot Why of Why wasn't people, he there? Why, why do you think he did not have that material with him? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned by that. I thought that he would be prepared. I actually did think he had prepared for the debates with Chris Christie and really Giuliani. I think he had a strategy. Uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm mystified by that because he's always coming up with these statistics and, you know, or if they're not statistics, telling us how he has benefited America during his rallies. And he does so, so well. Um, and it, it, I expect that's going to happen maybe in the second and third debates if they occur. But it's, it was so frustrating. Having said that, Bob, and I still maintain, you know, these were tremendous missed opportunities. But uh, one of the things that I think 
we have to always remember is Trump is a different political animal. And I don't think, you know, years from now, people are going to be writing uh, retrospectives and analyses of how he has won. Because remember, this is a guy who's never even been elected dog catcher before, and he becomes president of the United States. That's just astonishing. I don't think historians, academics, um, any kind of analysts have fully been able to analyze the, the new kind of dynamic that Trump has introduced into politics. And one of those is, and, and I don't know if this has happened to the various subgroups that were polled after the debate uh, two nights ago, but as opposed to academic scoring of debates, a lot of people, I saw some commentary, and it was kind of consistent that Trump showed that he is dominant. In other words, very often we like to score debates whether or not they had prevailed on a policy point um, you know, or made some rhetorical flourish that really would impress people. I think there are a lot of people out there um, that score points, in addition to maybe the two points I just mentioned, by looking at who dominated, who prevailed, who was generally the more assertive character and showed that he was in charge, um, things of that nature. In addition, I believe, and, and this really irritated me, Chris Wallace may go down as one of the worst moderators in presidential history. I don't care what all the intelligentsia say. It just bothered the heck out of me that he did what he did. And, you know, look, I appear on Fox, but I don't have any brief for it for any of the individuals on Fox. The fact of the matter is that he was so he was slickly biased against Trump. Virtually, I won't say every question, but every other question was, and again, he's very smart, was crafted in a way that was a when did you stop beating your wife question that wasn't posed in the correlative way to Joe Biden. For example, the whole right. thing with respect to the Proud Boys. First of all, Bob, you and I have talked about these things for a long time. I've been on Civil Rights Commission longer than anybody, period. Not, nobody even comes close. The Proud Boys? This is a, a serious group? I, my goodness. Uh, but, but aside from that, compared to Antifa or BLM or anything else like that. But aside from that, another missed opportunity, and he misspoke. It's clear he misspoke, and then they, they jump on it right away. And Trump should know yeah. better than to allow... Instead of saying stand by... Exactly right. Exactly right. And Trump knows that by now, that he can't even remotely misspeak on these things. <clears throat> but, you know, Chris Wallace poses this question to Trump when Trump has on numerous occasions repudiated white supremacy. And then he poses no similar question to Biden, who has a history of, number one, supporting Robert Byrd. And remember when he said that, I don't want my kids going to a racial jungle. And if you don't right. vote for me, you ain't black. And I mean, it goes on and on. And, you know, remember and Bar black Obama people all think alike, unlike yeah. Latinos. That's Unlike exactly Latinos, right. black people think there. all alike. That's one of the most racist things I've ever heard. Right. Yeah, right, right. And Obama's the first clean, articulate black guy out there. I mean, he goes on. And look. I will, and many conservatives, will give Biden the benefit of the doubt on, on some of those um, statements because we do believe he kind of misspoke on some of them. I, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But he does have a, con a consistent history about these things. There's an attitude by Biden that bespeaks somebody from a distant era who just doesn't get it. Donald Trump is no ways a racist, but it's posed to him, and he should have been better prepared for that, and he's got to be careful about these things. Now, all those criticisms to one side, um, I'm not sure the needle moved at all. When I was on 
back uh, Tuesday, I thought that the debates were important for maybe a two or three percent that may be persuadable. This is one election, Bob, that I believe is pretty much set in stone. For, I think 99% of people, not 97% of people, probably have a pretty good idea who they're going to vote for. I do think that 1%, or maybe even if it's expanded to 3%, are going to be vital in determining the outcome of the election. Maybe I'm wrong. I it just I depends am. on where they are, Pete. You know, it, it depends yeah. on the electoral map where those 1% to 2 or 3% are. Because that was my premise, too, that the debate is going to be largely irrelevant. I said that going in, and I really said it coming out. The winner of the debate is irrelevant because the bottom line is, you, you either look at one guy on the side of the stage that is a liberty-loving capitalist and another guy who is an anarchy-loving socialist, and you know, the, who, what they do for 90 minutes is irrelevant. I know those facts don't change. It's an easy choice for me, and I think that's going to be easy for, for 99% of the populace. Extremely well said, and you know, you do your own kind of snap polls. I spoke to a lot of people yesterday, and again, this is not scientific or anything else like that, but what you saw was a consistent kind of theme relative to what you just said. I think that almost everybody has their minds made up. Well, everyone has seen Trump. They've taken the measure of him. They know who he, are, who he is. And a lot of people have a pretty good sense of Biden. So there's not going to be a whole lot of movement there. And the good news for Trump is I think most people understand, despite the overwhelming opposition to the media, which I think actually helps him in many regards, is that coronavirus, for example, Trump didn't create, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it no matter your best efforts. People kind of get that kind of stuff. It kind of goes through a particular path. You do what Trump did, and Trump acted quickly on it. Um, you know, can you criticize somebody in, in hindsight? Sure, anybody can be doing that. But, you know, Trump didn't create the virus. He didn't spread the virus. He asked for a shutdown of travel way before the Democrats did. In fact, when I was on the Civil Rights Commission, the majority tried to issue a resolution claiming that that was xenophobic and, uh, and racist. And that was the theme of Democrats through late March. They seem to forget that. And of course, because they've got these abettors in the media, throughout the media, they com- consistently lie about it, which, again, is another thing that I think your entire audience saw. Biden was permitted by Chris Wallace to get, get away with multiple flat-out lies and not challenged on it, whereas he would ha- uh, challenge Trump on a regular basis. Most Trump supporters, the people in your audience, have seen this movie so many times before that I think it helps Trump. But Trump needs to help himself more. He's, yeah. He's, not only the misspeak, Pete, but, but, you know, Wallace came at him with the Charlottesville lie. And I, I cannot understand how the president wasn't prepped for that, whether it's his advisors, assistants, uh, debate preparers, or just himself. How he let Chris Wallace say that you talked about uh, very fine people during the Charlottesville massacre or Charlotte's, Charlottesville uh, you know, riot or whatever you want to call it. How he didn't come back and say immediately, I specifically denounced white supremacists and neo-Nazis at that event. I was not talking about them. It's all, you know, we've, we've played it ad nauseum, the reality here. But he didn't tell 75 million people that. 75 million people were watching that debate, we find out. And the president had an opportunity there to say, look, I never, ever praised white supremacists and, and neo-Nazis. I condemned them just like I condemned the Antifa, but not those who were there to just peacefully make their points on whether statues should come up or down. On both sides, there were people there who were not part of hate groups, and that's who I was talking about. He needed to clarify that yesterday or Tuesday night before 75 million people, because sadly, Joe Biden has been repeating the lie for three years, and there may be some people who actually believe it.
Yeah, but that's because the media have repeated the lie, and they right. don't refute it. They don't challenge it. And Chris Wallace did the same thing. I mean, it was just, it, Chris Wallace is better than that. I mean, by that, I mean he's smarter than that, which leads me to think that, you know, this was calculated, and it, it, it was appalling. It truly was. We're never going to get an honest broker in any kind of debate, but at least go through the motions of it, at least give some sense of balance, and it just infuriated me. Having said that, Republicans, but especially Donald Trump, should know the the deck is always going to be stacked against them and be prepared for it. I suspect the president's going to be prepared next time. Look, we've seen him at his rallies. He's phenomenal at his rallies. He's got command of the facts. Uh, I think his strategy, obviously, I mean, all of us know what the strategy was within five minutes. It was to throw Biden off his game and see him descend into complete gibberish. Right. Um, it worked It worked to some extent. He tried to play but, to his anger because Chris, I mean, because uh, Joe Biden gets angry all the time when somebody challenges him. He's done it to, to people on the campaign trail, the factory worker he called a lying dog face pony soldier, to, to interviewers. You get under his skin and Joe Biden will pop. And I know that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, absolutely, that's the case. But he's going to have to come up with, a, I think, a more nuanced strategy for the second debate because he will win. He will win the debate if he just has some more facts and is more is better prepared and doesn't have any kind of slip-ups with respect. In other words, he doesn't need to give his opponent ammunition. They've got right. plenty of ammunition. They don't need, they'll make their own ammunition. But be careful about these things, and not in a way that you know other Republicans have been who are always cowed by what the media may think. We know right. Donald Trump's not like that. But you know what? Don't give yourself more work. And, and, and let, let him do what he is prone to do. Let Joe Biden twist himself into a knot and, and hang himself. And that's something he, he bailed him out of far too many times in this particular event. Peter Kirsten, I thank you for coming on Doing Double Duty, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Always a pleasure. Take care. Have a great one, Peter Kirsten. Now it's 1052. Last segment coming up. Check out Guitar George. He knows all the chords. I really want to, uh, as I wrap it up, I really want to underscore how much of a sandbagging it was what Chris Wallace did to President Trump on Tuesday. What you're about to hear is Chris Wallace four years ago talking to the same man in a debate, Donald Trump. This was in March of 2016 during the Republican primary debates. Chris Wallace asking Donald Trump if he will disavow white supremacy and racist hate groups. Totally disavow the Ku Klux Klan. I totally disavow David Duke. I've been doing it now for two weeks. This is you're probably about the 18th person that's asked me the question. It was very clear. That question was also talked about in the form of groups, groups. I want to know which groups are you talking about? You have to tell me which groups. Ultimately, he got to the Ku Klux Klan, which obviously I'm going to disavow. And by the way, if you look on my Twitter account, almost immediately after the program, they were disavowed again. You know, it's amazing. When I do something on Twitter, everybody picks it up, goes all over the place. But when I did this one, nobody ever picks it up. Take a look at my Twitter account. That was President Trump. That was President Trump. Are you responding specifically to Chris Wallace four years ago about condemning white supremacy groups? And then four years later, Chris Wallace acts like this has never been covered before. Tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. 
stand to say that they need to stand down. And- Stop right there. Two things. Number one, militia groups are not white supremacist groups. Militia groups are American patriots who are prepared to fight back and defend our country against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And yes, that means domestic, number one. Number two, you heard what he said. Are you prepared to tell them to stand down? And that's exactly what President Trump tried to do. He's clunky, he's clumsy, and he said stand by instead of down, which was obviously just a misspeak. And not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do that? Sure, I'm willing to do that. The entire thing was a sandbag. It was a setup. It was a joke. President Trump is better than that. We'll see you tomorrow.